Hey everybody, it's Dave here, Darren over there, where your two old bloggers been doing this, commenting publicly for over two decades of peace. They're ready to talk playoff football. Are you ready? Let's get started. Climb in the pocket, Baby Norseman and Lake Monster Brewing presents Two Old Bloggers. Starting now. Hey everybody, it's Dave here and Darren over there in the great white north. How are things up there, Darren? Snowy Dave, but football on today, football on tomorrow, football on Monday. Hey, I'm okay. I'm okay with it. Don't have to go outside to watch football on TV. (laughs) Gotta love it. Absolutely gotta love it. I want to welcome everybody that's joined us. Sorry, starting a couple minutes late. Uh, uh, This 2 o'clock time is a little bit unusual, but we want to... We are both fans, Darren and I, and we want to watch the game uh, shortly after we get done with this. But first, we also we to- figured there'd be better chance somebody would actually watch if we weren't having the the game run during the NFL playoffs. Well, that's true too. But we want to talk Vikings football and Vikings playoff football here today. As normal, we have three themes. We're going to start out with. What did the Bears accomplish, or what did the Vikings accomplish during the Bears game last week? And there are a few things that they did accomplish. And of course, this is Darren's subject, because Darren hasn't been on since then. Darren obviously popped off. He'll join us momentarily. It's his gremlins in his internet service, I'm sure. But we are glad you are here. The second theme is going to be our quick hitters. Who's going to be starting at right tackle? Is it only Udo or is it Blake Brandle? After that, we got a little Kyrus Tonga. What a steal from the Chicago Bears. And then we're going to get into Darren's all-time favorite player, Herb Smith Jr. And how he might be a key to a Vikings playoff run. Finally, we're going to get into the game, the game of the week tomorrow in the afternoon time slot where the Giants come to Minnesota for the second time this season as they try to defeat your Minnesota Vikings. Will it happen? I say no, but it's going to be a contest and we'll talk about it. So let's get this going. In today, and I've lost Darren again. I'll bring him back on. Not a big deal. <laughs> we keep playing with cameras and computers and such to get all over kinds of technical head. issues here the past yep. couple of weeks. But it works. It'll make it work. But what we're going to get into first is Cunningham to Cousins. Can Kirk do what Randall did? That's the theme of this show. And for most of you, I even ask. Good friend of the show, Ali Siddiqui, online. I bet he knew, and he did. We'll get into it. But first, theme one. And boom. You wanted to start with Kevin O'Connell, coach of the Minnesota Vikings. 
Yeah, I wanted to touch on Dave last week's game uh, just a bit and kind of ask like, what did the Vikings accomplish there in that game? Uh, because we talked about this last week in the preview, uh, like stardom and sit them, the whole debate about should the Vikings play their starters at least for part of the game, uh, like O'Connell said he was going to do, or whether they should just let the backups roll the whole way. I was uh, against O'Connell playing the starters really at all because I thought the risks uh, were outweighed the rewards. Uh, but he ended up doing what he was said he was going to do. The, the starters basically played the first half. And uh, so looking on back on that, um, I just wanted to touch on a bit about what I thought, you know, if the Vikings accomplished anything and, and what they actually accomplished by playing the starters against a terrible Bears team, the worst team in the NFL, as it turns out. Uh, and um, and really, uh, I, I, two things in, in last week's discussion, David, we talked about two things that I was looking for was that one, if the starters were going to play, then they had to kick ass and play really well. and both offensively and defensively, and even on special teams. I think that was mission accomplished. The offense looked uh, like, again, we, we got to consider it's the Bears. Uh, they didn't have Justin Fields, we know. Their, uh, their starting cornerbacks were not playing. They didn't play Kyler Gordon. Jalen Johnson's been on the IR for a few weeks. And then the guy that's behind him, Jalen Jones, didn't play either. So the But, but – Overall, overall, I felt that like uh, the Vikings offensively, Cousins looked very sharp. Uh, they had five drives in the first half of the starters. They scored on three of them. They, the only ones they did, and they were deep in Bears territory in the other two. You had the Dalvin Cook fumble, which ruined one drive. And then there was that very weird, bad clock management, bad decision by Cousins to check down. Uh, and we ran out of time to get a field goal on the very last drive in the first half. But we passed the ball well. There was absolutely no pressure on Kirk Cousins the whole time. Not surprising because the Bears have a terrible pass rush. But anyway, it's good that good that we still held up on the pass uh, on offensive line and holding off their pass rush, especially considering all the Udo was at right tackle and you had Chris Reed at center. So that was all good. And defensively, the starter starter wise, you know, again, the Bears offense, no Justin Fields, no Darnell Mooney. They did play David Montgomery and Khalil Herbert, so they're two best running backs. Uh, but they have no wide receivers to speak of, really. And uh, But still, uh, again, same thing. We gave up one scoring drive, that really weird play where Velas Jones somehow scores from 40 yards, tiptoes down the sideline, even though we got four Vikings there who can't tackle him. But otherwise, we got a we got an interception. We got a turnover on downs. We had a three and out. We only the starters only gave up that one touchdown drive in the first half. Uh, if you were looking for a get right game uh, and to come up with some confidence going into the playoffs when people are doubting you, I think the offense and the defensive starters uh, could feel pretty good about how they played because they were sharp. And they, I think they were able to get that bad taste out of their mouth from the game against Green Bay the previous week where both units were pretty bad. So mission accomplished on that end, and there were no injuries, really. Uh, Dalvin Cook got nicked up a little, but I think he, you know, he, he's good to go. The other thing that I was hoping the Vikings would accomplish in this game against the Bears was that the backups, uh, somebody flashed. Like the backups play well, and a few players stand out to me and look like they might be able to help in the playoff run if somebody gets hurt and also uh, in the future because these guys, some of these guys are going to have to step in for some of the aging Viking veterans. And I thought a couple of guys that stood out to me, like overall the backups 
uh, I think, did their job. Nick Mullins as a backup quarterback looked really sharp to me. He did throw that interception, and I think, and he did underthrow KJ Osborne on a potential t- long touchdown pass. And I think that kind of illustrates that he doesn't quite have the arm talent that a guy like Kirk Cousins or other starters in the league have, and that's why Nick Mullins might partly always be a backup. But he looks he lo- he looks sharp in that game, and I'd be quite happy when this season is over, whenever it's over if the Vikings find a way to bring back Nick Mullins, because every time he's played this year, and it's been in short spurts a lot, but every time he's played, he has done the job, I think. He seems um, like a good backup. Yeah, Somebody that you want as a backup, that can come in and probably win at least half half the games. He's talented enough that he can do it. It's not a, oh, my God, we're just giving this yes. one away type quarterback. He can do it, especially with the weapons we have. People always say, well, you know, if you didn't have Kirk Cousins, you'd be losing. Well, Nick Mullins would be thrown to those same wide receivers, and he has talent enough to do that, which gives you a chance. To me, he looked he looked very comfortable running the offense. He got the ball out quickly, on time, accurate. Again, he doesn't quite have the arm that Kirk Cousins had, and so that interception he got thrown, if it had a bit more zip and had a bit more loft to it, that wouldn't have gotten intercepted. But those are the things that – that's why Nick Mullins is is kind of a borderline, is a backup, uh, and somebody you probably wouldn't want to start for long term. But anyway, uh, still, uh, I felt good about how he played. And again, God forbid if Cousins had to leave a playoff game for like a few plays or a few series because he got nicked up, I wouldn't feel too bad about Nick Mullins going in there, especially now that I've seen him a whole half and a bit and playing well. Uh, so that was encouraging. Another guy that was encouraging to me was uh, was really Jalen Naylor, a wide receiver, the sixth-round pick from Michigan State. He had a nice little outing in garbage time against the Green Bay Packers two weeks ago, got his first career touchdown pass. But against the Bears, and again, it's the Bears, bad defense, didn't have their top corners in, all that stuff. Still you know, an NFL team. Still an NFL team. And he had six catches for over 80 yards. He showed, again, he looked like he had good route running ability, good speed, uh, and uh, soft hands. And what I really like was on two or three of those catches, he broke tackles. He got a lot of extra yards after the catch and turned to like a 10-yard gain into a 16, 17-yard gain. And I, I like that. Um, the, uh, the Bears still had a lot of their starters in the game on the defensive mm-hmm. line and the linebacker side, not not so much in the secondary. But still, uh, for him to play like that in the second week in a row and be a factor, and uh, you know th- that made me feel good uh, because I've been sort of worrying lately this season about, okay, if Justin Jefferson ever gets hurt, you know, Adam Phelan's getting older. He he looks like he's kind of on his last legs, Dave. I'd like, I'm not saying. <laughs> we'll get into that in the offseason because if you yeah. look at some of the breakdown of the film, yeah, he only's caught in 400-plus yards worth of passes. But there's an awful lot of that film where he is wide open and mm-hmm. the ball's going in a different direction. Yeah, But, true. yes, I do agree he's off a bit. I think he's stepping into that. Late era Fitzgerald mode, Chris Carter mode, where he's your uh, possession possession guy, possession guy. Yeah. Um, So there's Adam Thielen, KJ Osborne. We know he's been a bit of a forgotten man, although we'll get into him a bit later. You know, the past two or three games, he's had a bit of a renaissance again. But uh, 
the way Naylor played in that game, I'm kind of like thinking this guy, you know, we might have something here. Uh, he looks like he looks like a legit wide receiver from the, the brief glimpses that we have seen. Uh, so I was encouraged by his play in this game. Another guy that uh, also caught my eye was Josh Metellus. He was starting for the hitman. He played the whole game. He had three pass breakups, uh, tackled well. It seems like he's another guy that, you know, when he got drafted in the sixth round in 2020, uh, I don't think any of us really expected anything from him. He's been a very good special teams player for uh, for the Vikings, while the, especially the past two years. But this year, when he's gotten into play, and, and, and it hasn't just was in the Bears game, he's played significant amount of snaps in other games. He had to play for Hitman when he got uh, missed out on the concussion. I think it was in the Cardinals game um, earlier in the year. But uh, he, I think he's been – he hasn't been a liability. He's been fairly solid. And, again, three pass breakups against the Bears – they don't have good wide receivers, but they had him in the slot at times, covering wide receivers as a safety. Uh, again, if Hitman were to go down in the playoffs, uh, I wouldn't feel too bad about – I would have confidence in Metellus to be in there and not be a liability and actually give us some solid snaps. And or if going, Sullivan goes down, right. to bring him in as the nickel. Mm-hmm. That might be something I'd be less enthused about, but – the Vikings don't have a lot of options, right? Like Dantzler, who knows if he's playing? Are you putting Chris Boyd in the slot? No. Uh, no. So, yeah, maybe Metellus would be your guy. But even even looking beyond this year, Josh Metellus, you know, hit man's – he turns 34 in the offseason. Uh, maybe Cam Bynum hasn't been all that this year. You know, who knows? But Josh Metellus probably, along with his special teams strengths – He's probably made a case for him being on the Vikings and possibly getting a second contract with us uh, in well, the future. And we know he got to put on the C. They voted him captain when O'Neill went mm-hmm. off on IR. They needed that extra captain, and he was next in the lineup, and it was unanimous amongst the team at that point. Metellus should be it. And it's mainly for his special teams. That's where Metellus has made his money. Yes. But – when it comes to play on the field, he has stepped up. You can't ask much more of a backup, and that's basically what he is. And he has stepped up, and it's a good thing that we have him rolling into the playoffs. So I I like it. I agree with you. It's I have to look to see when his contract's up. It may be this year. Maybe this it, year, yeah. It, it may be worth looking at and re-signing, at least as a primary backup, primary uh, special teamer that you want to keep moving on. Ray was asking if Hitman's questionable. He is, but Kevin O'Connell made it pretty clear in his presser that he felt that Hitman was going to be playing Sunday. Mm-hmm. And Mike Glass, do we think there's going to be wrinkles in this game? From KOC, we'll get into that in the third theme, but the simple answer is yes. Uh, You're going to see wrinkles from both teams. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's the playoffs. We're going to do that. Yeah. First off, I want to thank everybody who showed up today: Todd, Davy, Michael, Mary, uh, Rhino is here. I know I've seen him. Raymond, yeah. you guys rock. G Mac. You're absolutely a legend there, buddy. I appreciate it for you guys coming on and joining us today. 
to talk about playoff football and your Minnesota Vikings. Now, that quickly, quickly goes through theme one, and we're going to hit theme two shortly. But as normal, our theme one uh, promotee, our sponsors that help pay for some of the doodads behind the <laughs> scenes that we love is uh, that's badass wood art. Okay? And we know that Lewis, shown here, has given every one of you the chance at 20% off any particular piece that he makes. Now, this week, I wanted to focus on, he threw, he threw up a shot of his stain station. All right? Now, this is where he does painting with wood stain, where he makes the colors on each of his items. And here on the bench, you can see he's got some of his Vikings art uh, from Adrian Peterson to Ziggy with the catch to Justin Jefferson doing the, the gritty to Randy Moss and the infamous Moon to the Purple People Eaters and Adam Thielen there in the front. He is outstanding at what he does. Now, what you can see, thanks for joining us, uh, Ashe. Uh, you can see a link there, and I have it included in the show notes. Fox 9, local Fox channel out of Minneapolis, did a story on him. I suggest you go click on the link that's, like I said, in the remarks, and see exactly what he does. It was a good story showing him working in a workshop and creating the stuff he does. Lewis does an absolutely fantastic job. He's working on some custom pieces for climbing the pocket. Plus, there's some custom pieces I have in mind for him. So we'll see how that goes. But Lewis does a great job. And if you want something to brighten your space, Vikings-related, it'd go great back here somewhere. Or just, you know, something that you love, you want in your house, Lewis is the man. Check him out at thatsbadasswoodart.com. You can see all of this stuff. Celebrities love it. Players love it. We love it. Lewis does a fantastic job. Now on to... You can close now. Artwork. Boom. Boom. And boom. Theme two. Brian O'Neill. We're only partly talking about Brian O'Neill, Dave. <laughs> oh, okay. I wish he was here. Yeah, no, that's true. Uh, but uh, th this is a, what we call a bit of our uh, quick hitters uh, segment. Uh, I'm going to hit on a, a yes, few Rhino, different, different things. And uh, the first one was that I wanted to give a bit of, give a bit of love, a bit of a shout out to Ollie Udo, uh, who uh, – 
as you say, he has stepped in and rep- been re- replaced Brian O'Neill, who unfortunately went down with that partially torn Achilles in, in the game against that team from Wisconsin. Um, can't replace Brian O'Neill. Extremely durable, extremely consistent, extremely good right tackle for the Vikings. But, and, and, and when he went out, I'm like, they put Ali Udo in, and I'm like, when both of us, every Viking fan who watched Ali Udo play left guard, or sorry, right guard last year, like, like that guy is terrible. And he was. But in the basically two games that he has played at right tackle for the Vikings, I think he's looked pretty good uh, overall. A lot better than I was expecting. His pro football focus grades He's just about under 70 overall, but his pass blocking grades are well have been well over 70 in both of those games. That's very good. The run blocking is where he's been a little bit less, and that's hurting his grades. But uh, when I'm looking at a right tackle and with the Vikings passing as much as they do, uh, I think that you know the pass blocking is is the thing I'm more worried about. I think is more important, and Aliudo has done that pretty well. In the two games he's played against the Bears, again, the Bears, they have no pass rush, but Oliudo did not give up any pressures that I saw. He very solid, walled guys off. Well, he's uh, given up two, to be exact, yeah. but zero sacks at mm-hmm. right tackle. Uh, so uh, it's, it's not great when you're going into the playoffs against better defenses, and the Giants have a better pass rush than the Bears do. Everybody does, but mm-hmm. the Giants in particular. But Oliudo uh, has not been. Uh, the train wreck, the liability that I was worried about. And so I want, you know, I feel that that's important. Uh, it sounds like the Vikings are going to get Garrett Bradbury back for Sunday's game. And, and that's good. So now we don't have what I was worried about last week, which is two backups playing in playoff time. It looks like we're only going to get one. Uh, and actually we don't know if it's going to be Ole Udo or Blake Brandle, but anyway, I think for, for me, uh, Oliudo's grades are better than in the short in the two games he's played than Blake Brandles were in the four plus games that he played. I'm hoping that Wes Phillips and Kevin O'Connell play Oliudo tomorrow against the Giants. I, he's looked like the better tackle to me. Uh, and but uh, the Vikings in the past under Zimmer, they always had that you know Dave they had that one swing tackle. It was Rashad mm-hmm. Hill for the, the years where so Rashad Hill would go in and play right tackle if the right tackle was out. He'd go in and play left tackle if the left tackle was out. Uh, I don't know whether the Vikings considered Blake Brandle just a left tackle backup and Aldiudo was a right tackle backup. We're going to find out tomorrow. But I um. I'm, I'm feeling, I'm hoping that Aliudo is the guy that's playing at right tackle tomorrow and not Blake Brandle. I feel that Brandle didn't really play all that well when he was uh, at left tackle for Christian Derrissaw. He got a lot of help, as I said last week, from Ezra Cleveland on, on various things. They gave him mm-hmm. help with tight end and running back chips as well. And still, he gave up six sacks, I believe, in, in those times. So, uh, But I just, you know, I've, I've been encouraged by Aliudo. Uh, his play. Let's see if the Vikings feel the same way I do tomorrow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Clifford is hinting at something we're going to get into a little bit later. Ooh. Um, but I agree with you. I think Oliudo should start at right tackle. If Darisov goes out, we then have Blake Brandle there. I think they're going to play him left-right. I don't think they're going to try to move Brandle over to right. I think that would be a mistake. Ole mm-hmm. is a tackle. He 
failed at guard because he is a tackle. And he tried to play guard as a tackle. You can't do that. And when he got beat, he turned around and he grabbed. Now, Oliudo plays with a style of, he plays with the hug style. He lets guys into his chest and then he grabs and hugs. Made famous by the Green Bay Packers, which we hate and we call it holding, but and if holding if they don't call it. Yep. So it's it's a hug. It can you control them in close versus keep them away. And Oli is very very good at that, and he has done outstanding. I don't see Warren on here in the comments. He would be shouting that. Uh, Oli Udo has done great and not given up a whole lot of sacks. Oli's problem was penalties last year, especially holding. He got the nickname Holdy Udo um, because of that. But Oli can do well, especially on passing downs. I think he'll do all right. He's the best of the options we have. Now, Davey, we'll get into some of that help that you're talking about, whether it be two tight end set, fullback, or whatever comes down the line, we are looking at that. Yes. Dave, why do you think that all, uh, Udo had, like, what's the big, you're the offensive line guru <laughs> amongst the two of us. Uh, why do you think that it's uh, it'd be, you would think that Udo gone being a tackle where you got to be more athletic and you got to, you're more in space that if you moved inside, it'd be easier. He's a big guy. He's a strong guy. It seemed kind of obvious that he would, he would do okay. He would do fine at right guard because he wouldn't be, he'd be in a phone booth. He wouldn't have to worry about space issues, but you're nope, shaking your head. Nope, 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 nope. All right. As a tackle, as a tackle, and I roll my chair back, <laughs> you want to, um, with a kick step, you're wanting to get far out, and you want to generally keep guys out, and you're pushing guys out and around, right? Your quarterback's yes. behind you. You want to push them out of the way. It's really that simple. If they try to come inside, you want to square up and, and stop them, and it's, that's the way you want to go. You have time because on a snap, pass protection snap, a tackle is going back a little bit further. There's a little bit extra room. You want to keep things, those long arms. Uh, You're built a little differently. You want to keep that out and pushing away. It is a a leverage. You're using their momentum against them as a guard. When you come in a guard and you come back, you're playing the old saying as in a phone booth. There, it's leverage on leverage, right? You got to get that ass in, that lower end down, and you want to get lower and you want to come up and you want to stand up and control the individual rather than just, you know, boom, 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 bump you out of out of your line, your trajectory, bump you out like we do with an asteroid coming to kill the Earth. That's wants to bump it out of its trajectory just a little bit so it doesn't hit Earth. That's what a tackle does. He bumps that defensive end or whatever it is just a little bit so he doesn't get to the quarterback. A guard, on the other hand, has to sit there and physically fight and stop. 
Yes, he's going to do some of that. I want to redirect you. But for the most part is stand up and stop because there isn't enough time. Due to the position, there isn't enough time to do that. So he is physically fighting. It's a more physical spot. And it's closer in. It's not, bam, at the end of your arm length. It is, you're, you're fighting like this. You're grabbing and you're controlling. And it's, it's a different style of play. You want to be a lower center of gravity. You want to come up. You want to push up, right? And that's different from what a tackle's trying to do. So th- they're two different styles of playing the line. And Ole Udo, the way he plays, is not doesn't translate well to the guard style. Some tackles can do it. Ezra Cleveland is a tackle, but he plays guard well for a tackle. It's it's different, and and guards moving out to tackle, it's different from them because they tend to want to do the muscle thing, and it's more of a physics thing. And so it's different when you switch those two positions. The footwork's slightly different. You're not taking as big a steps in the guard position as you are on the tackle position. But, you know, a lot of things are still the same. You want to stay squared up. You want to stay engaged. You want to keep their hands off. All that sort of thing still wants to go. You still want to do, but it's different. And Oliodo is better built for tackle position than he is for an interior alignment, i.e. guard and or center. When we get to center, it's the same way. You want thicker lower bodies. You want a lower center of gravity. Good centers are the guys with the big trunks, body, shorter legs, but it's thick. You know, it's thick around the ass and the hips. They're built like, you know, hogs, like quarter horses where it's thick, whereas a tackle is more lean. He's got the strength in the upper body. He's also got it in the lower body. Um, it's, it's, it's a different style that better affects that. It's just, you know, not every body build can play tackle. Not every body build can play guard. Not every body build can play, you know, running back or quarterback. They tend to have certain traits that make good for them. And Oluyudo's best trait is at tackle. And he is proving it this year as how well he is playing. Dave, no, I did not. I was never a wrestling coach. I wrestled one year. That was it. And Wrestling does help play, uh, does help players as well does dance, um, things that help with motor skills that does help. Yes, 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 yes. They're like Shakira. Yes. GMAC, you got it right. <laughs> you got it right, baby. All right. That's it for we're talking about Oli Udo. And Blake Brandel and his. That wasn't such a quick hitter, I guess, but. uh, Well, well, I got into it. Then we're on to the next one. The man, the myth, the legend from the islands, Kairos Tonga. Kairos Tonga. Yeah, wanted to to mention Kairos Tonga because, uh, again, here was a guy. Uh, we signed him off the, I believe he was on the Atlanta Falcons practice squad. Mm-hmm. We signed him to the active roster back in October. Um, like a lot of he these guys. He was on the Bears. 
Yeah, he was. They cut, they cut him at the, the end of the training camp. He was a seven round pick for the Bears in twenty twenty one, and uh, and so they cut him. He lands on the practice squad. Uh, the Vikings sign him on the active squad when they had some injury issues. I think the talent uh, at. Oh no, Darren's wonderful internet up there above the Arctic Circle in Yellowknife, Canada, just went. <clears throat> Again, he's in his 24 hours of darkness period. It obviously affects his internet. Either that or sunspots right there, Christopher Gates. Sunspots, we are in are the sun maximum, so those affect uh, satellites and some of the communication. Maybe that's it, but we don't know. But he's talking about Kairos Tonga. We got him off the Bears, which I think was a steal. And uh, he has developed quite nicely. Talk to us about Tonga. Well, I just feel that uh, I didn't know what to expect from Tonga. Didn't know a whole lot about him when he was with the Bears. I didn't pay much attention to him. Uh, he shows up, Dave, and I'm like, um, who's this guy? And he's not going to be an impact. But as the season's gone on, he's eaten into other guys' snaps. He's, he's taking snaps from James Lynch. Um, you know, he's listed at 6'4", about 340 pounds. Coming out of college, he was like your prototypical uh, run stuffer. Um, I think I'm, I was. Uh, I think maybe the reason the Bears got rid of him is that he didn't fit into their <laughs> the do line. Uh, yeah, pretty close, actually, Dave, pretty close. Um but I think maybe the Bears got rid of him because he didn't fit into the four three that they were running. Uh, but he's 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 a perfect kind of nose tackle for three four. And oh, he's thick. Yeah, he's a thick, thick boy. <laughs> Not going to give you anything in the pass rush. Basically, he's going to bull rush up the middle when when there isn't running play. But uh, I, you know, he's been showing up in the games and with the snaps he's got in the Bears game. There was one play in particular I remember. It was in the first half. I think you got the photo of it, sort of made the photo of it right there. But they, they ran a play, gave it to Montgomery. Conga, uh, Tonga like kind of split a gap, got in past his blocker, uh, you know, got penetration up the middle, forced Montgomery to like stop dead in his tracks, go laterally. And that and, and Tonga didn't get the tackle, but he funneled Montgomery right into Asese Otomoweo. And Otomoweo made a nice tackle for a tackle for a loss. And there was two or three, there was a couple other snaps that Tonga played where he did the exact same thing. Didn't get the tackle, but created penetration, blew up the running play, and funneled the running back to another Viking defender who made the tackle. Which is exactly what you want from a nose yeah. guard. Take up space and push people into oncoming arms. And that's exactly what you want. Uh, Tonga isn't going to get Nose tackles don't typically show up in the stat sheet a lot. They're not going to get sacks. They're not going to get a lot of tackles, but they result in other guys getting tackles. And Tonga is, again, he's probably yeah, – and Clifford's talking about Islanders. They're strong. They, a lot of them also tend to play – grow up playing rugby – and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and that helps them, and you, you kind of notice that in their style of play. But Tonga's a guy, although he did go to high school in Utah, so he's not like he came from the islands <laughs> and you know, learned to play football when he was like 20. But uh, I just think that the Vikings have had trouble stopping the run. They've also had trouble stopping the pass. But uh, Tonga's a guy with his ability to penetrate in the gaps, 
You know you're not going to get a pass rush from him, but he's not in there for the pass rush. He's a guy who's going to play on first down, maybe second down. If he can get the, that type of penetration with the snaps he's got, shut down some run plays, let other guy by creating havoc in there, get, getting penetration, splitting gaps, and forcing running running backs to go into a different hole or gap than they wanted to. Uh, you know, he's a guy that has some value for the Vikings because, again, they haven't been that stout against the run. And, uh, I, you know, he's been a guy who's been a pleasant surprise to me. And I think that uh, I'm hoping that he continues to be a pleasant surprise for however long the playoff run goes. And he's another guy like Metellus. I think that the Vikings are going to bring him back next year because he works. He fits well with the 3-4. He's a guy that you could get for cheap, sign him to a one-year deal and see what you got. And he's 26, so he's just kind of so coming into his yeah. – he's, he's, he's not young for the fact that he'd be going into his second year, but he's he was a Mormon. I think he went on one of the missions for a couple of years, so he's a bit older. But he's he's coming into that like his prime, and he might be just hitting his prime now, and the Vikings may have got themselves basically a steal, and they, they didn't have to trade anything to get him. They picked him off off the scrap heap, and – and, you know, he's turned into a useful player. So I wanted to, sh- to recognize him for his play and keep an eye on him tomorrow against the, in the playoff game against the Giants and for however long the Vikings stay in the playoffs this year. I agree. And it, previous great nose tackles for the Vikings that did the sort of stuff he does is uh, Fat Pat or Jerry mm-hmm. Ball, you know, and guys that take up blockers and move people in. Yes, Limval was another one. Uh, I want to address Michael. What do you mean? What's happening with uh, me and the podcast? We're still, we'll still rip this show into a podcast after the fact and post it online. It'll be tonight, and you will be able to listen to it as well as if you come to YouTube page and watch it and see the fantastic graphics. <laughs> um. But, yes, I think Tonga is a good development that's coming later part of this season. I like what he's doing. I want to keep him there. And I think, yes, moving on, it's a cheap way to keep building up the defense if the defense remains a 3-4, whether it remains under Ed Donatel or not going into the next season. We'll find out. It all depends how we go through the playoffs, how things – Roll, so we'll find out. Um, you talked about nose tack, well, nose tackles, Dalvin Tomlinson, who's done outstanding, and um, we've got two good ones, so we'll see. Mm-hmm. There we go. The big boy, if you want to see how he's built, there he is, thick. Very thick. <laughs> now on to your favorite player. It would seem that way, Dave. <laughs> Irv, Irv Peanut Smith. Smith. Um, it was, I don't know what I did with myself while he was on IR, and I couldn't talk about him, David, but uh, <laughs> 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 he's back now. He's back. He's uh, back. I just, yeah, it, he, got his, uh, he played his first game last week against the Bears, the first one since, I think, week seven or week eight. Uh, and um, there have been there was a couple of comments. I think there was one in particular last week. Can't remember who mentioned it, but they were asked us like, "What role do you see Irv Smith Jr. having 
with the Vikings now that he's back. Um, and we addressed that a bit, but I think when he played in the Bears game, he played a fair bit in the first half, and then he was in there a lot in the second half. But I think that game kind of showed you <laughs> what his role will be. Uh, he caught three passes for about 18 yards. He, he looked fine, didn't look rusty. He made a couple of nice tough catches, didn't really get a whole lot of yardage with it, which has been Irv Smith in 2022 when he did play. But uh, he, like his role is going to be minimal if TJ Hawkinson is healthy and we sure as whole hell hope he is uh, because Hawkinson's uh, Hawkinson, if they're the Vikings, if Kirk cousins is going to throw to a tight end, it is going to be to TJ Hawkinson pretty much 95% of the time. It is not going to be to Irv Smith jr. Um, as well. It uh, should be Hawkinson that's right. is a top tier or just at the bottom of the top tier tight end in this league. You've got to yeah. throw it to him. He has made differences in games so far. TJ Hawkinson is the guy with 80-plus catches and over 900 yards receiving this year with the Lions, and but mostly with the Vikings. Uh, he's our number two pass-catching uh, target, <laughs> you know, number two target really after Justin Jefferson. So Irv Smith is not going to be taking uh, – is not going to be targeted very much when he is in the game with – TJ Hawkinson. So I think his role is going to be minimal and maybe he'll make a key catch here and there that uh, might extend a drive, but really his role is going to be minimal. What is good about Irv Smith now, and again, heaven forbid, if it were to happen is that uh, he gives us good depth at tight end. Uh, If TJ Hawkinson were to get hurt and that's always a possibility in a game, we don't want to see it, but if it does, your drop off from Hawkinson to Irv Smith. Irv Smith can still be a pass catching threat. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can still be somebody that defenses have to account for. Uh, if you go, so if you go from T.J. Hawkinson to Irv Smith Jr., that's not as bad as a drop off as if you go to T.J. Hawkinson to the guy you have pictured there, which is Johnny Month. Uh, and we love Johnny Month, and he yeah, infuses yeah. energy in the team, but he is neither Hawkinson or Irv Smith when it comes to catching the football. Johnny does what he does. Uh, he's filled a role with the Vikings. Mostly that's to, to block his ass off and, and catch the, you know, one or two passes a game. But to, if you're, if Johnny Munn is your number one tight end in a playoff game, uh, the Vikings are severely compromised on offense. If that's mm-hmm. the case. Whether it's if Junior, that's the case, expect a lot of wide receivers. Well, being on who, who else are you going to throw to, right? Yeah. Like Irv Smith Jr. is not, is not, is, is, but he's a step up from Johnny Munt in the past or se- seasons side of things. And so uh, that is where his value might ultimately lie. We hope it doesn't get to that point because we need TJ Hawkinson in there all the time. But, but uh, Irv Smith Jr. at least gives you somebody who can do be TJ Hawkinson light if he has to be for an extended amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, this picture here that I took that off of, was from the last game, and he was looking at Kirk Cousins. And, but I agree with you. He is a good number two tight end. I would leave him there for the rest of the season. I do believe he may be key in the playoffs because we can give that extra blocking help with him in there, and he is the extra one that can pop out and possibly catch a pass or two to uh, – score some points that it will take to win some of these games as we hopefully make it into February during the playoffs. Indeed. 
Sean says use more as a decoy. That may very well be, Sean. Very well may be. Um, Davey asks, how did Texas Tea Tour go? Davey, it went wonderful. I have a whole bunch of notes I sent to a friend of the show, Tyler Fortis, whoever at the beginning of this season wanted to be on this show with us. Uh, how they went, I will I will shoot them off. I have them written somewhere. I will shoot them off to them. But it was quite pleasant. And by the Texas tour, he's asking, Darren, if you're curious what it was, I bought a whole bunch Damn. of Texas brew or te- Texas distilled whiskeys and went through them. And uh, there's some absolute gems in them. Oh. Oh. Texas matures whiskeys faster than Kentucky. Kentucky, you might want to take six, eight years to sit in the in a barrel in the in the storage barns, and then we're talking massive buildings. Um, to mature Texas, that may be two or three years because of the heat, cold differentials that they go through, the absorption of the whiskey into the wood and back out. It takes a shorter time, but there are some fabulous, fabulous. Texas whiskeys, and they're trying to make it a category. You're from Canada. You know, mm-hmm. Canadian whiskey is a yes. category, if we get into whiskeys, on how you, what is governmentally approved and what could be called a Canadian whiskey. Canadian whiskey is a type of whiskey. Bourbon whiskey is a type of whiskey. Uh, you have Tennessee whiskeys, which is different than bourbons in one aspect in the fact that they're charcoal filtered. You have American whiskeys, which can be like Canadian whiskeys, that don't fall under the what is required for a bourbon whiskey. Well, they're now coming under legislation, what is a Texas whiskey? It's coming under its own category. Um, obviously, everybody's heard of Scotch and Irish. It all falls under that, but there's some wonderful drinking stuff. But we're here to talk about football, not just whiskey. Folks, you've just stumbled upon another one of Dave's passions, which is whiskey. That's right. But I will send you, Davey, I will send you my notes on those so you know. Uh, Whiskey tango. Thank you, GMAC. I love that. So we're at the end of theme two, which always brings us to, besides whiskey I love, I love beer. And in this case, Lake Monster Brewing. I grew up on beer. I was stationed in England in the mid-80s where they made great beer versus the macros in the States where you had Budweiser, Miller, Coors, and that was basically about it. Now, yeah, (laughs) you could get Pearl, you know, down here in Texas, land of 1100 springs. You could get, you know, uh, Paps Blue Ribbon. You could get a whole bunch of beers, but they were macro breweries, and they didn't have a whole lot of flavor. They weren't ales. They were lagers. But if you want to talk about good beer, and good beer came to the United States in about the 90s. Started with the microbrew scene. I was brewing with my pastor, home brewing stuff, to try to emulate what was brewed in England and in Germany right? It was different stuff. It was better beer. It's now come and developed further into the micro brew scene or the medium brew or even larger ones when we talk stone or uh, 
uh, the one from New England that I like so much that does the Boston Ale. It is <laughs> lima bean ale. <laughs> as much as the guys like to joke about that, no, I do not like lima bean ale. I've never found one I like. But when it comes to Minneapolis and those microbrews, those local brews, we talk about Lake Monster Brewing. They've been a partner with us. Our first uh, sponsor of the show, and they have gone. Uh, Michael, instant red apples, a good Canadian whiskey. Yes, I agree. And on ice, and I, that's nice and refreshing. But when it comes to beer, we talk about Lake Monster locally. They're in the St. Paul, right across the river from Minneapolis. You can go there. They're only blocks away, basically, from the stadium. And you can go there. They have, um, here I've got on top on tap, but I wanted to promote what is new this week. And it is Midnight Rowboat Indian Pale Ale IPA, right? This is normally their empty rowboat IPA. But they've changed something up. And in this case, it is because they've added a black malt, a roasted, a roasted malt that makes the beer dark in color. Now, we've all seen on TV uh, a Negro from uh, Mexico, which is a, a very good beer. Well, this is a, an ale that is dark, and it looks absolutely fantastic. Blends of hops, dark roasted uh, mash to go in and make this the perfect sipper, as they call it. I'm betting this is that, you know, more thick, like a stout sort of deal, that wonderful winter warm your heart as you're sitting by the fireplace You've got that pipe in your hand. You've got the beer right next to you. And you're ready to drink with your good book or watching Good Morning or Good Morning Gallahorns, two old bloggers. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> Dry throat there. That's the way this beer would go. GMAC talks about brewing his own beer. I used to, too, GMAC. We'll get into that. Uh, Davey's, I'm brewing cherry bounce. I'll let you know how it goes. Well, good. I want to know, Davey. Um, do they distribute outside the Minneapolis-St. Paul area? They distribute in the Vikings viewing area. If it's in the local North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa Stuff you can find it. Other than that, no. Um, unfortunately, no. I have to get an occasional care package. Darren has to get his care package. That's the only way you can try it. But I can tell you right now, this stuff right here sounds absolutely wonderful. Matt Lang, the brewmaster, if he's watching today, I want one. <laughs> And for the other guys in CTP that live in the area, Matt, Miles, Ryan, Tyler, go over there. Tell me how it is. Or I'm not going to produce your next show. How's that for a threat? 
Now, I want to, I really want to know how good this beer is. Sounds fantastic. On tap this week, they have in goblets a new mango guavo sour. For those that like sours, uh, bring your better half. She may like that one. Uh, it may be good. Don't know. You have your hot apple ale, which everybody loves. Great winter drink. GMAC, you haven't drank for 14 years. Good for you. Um, that's awesome. Uh, Cherry Bounce, Gordon Davy was George Washington's favorite. Yep. Mary, red beer. She likes reds. Uh, Mary, uh, Matt will tell you they do brew a red ale this year. We'll have to try to hook you up. But those are the two new ones on Goblets. We have the new one on Pints. The Midnight Rowboat is there. It's a 6.9% ABV, so it's relatively manly. So if you drink it, it's good. That's what they have. That is our partners, Lake Monster Brewing. They make fantastic beer that both of us can attest to. We can. Sounds like a good place to go tomorrow to watch the game if you are not able to get if you're in there and you're not able to you don't have tickets to the game mm -hmm. yes absolutely that brings so us pretty theme three the game we're going to be looking at vikings and giants tomorrow afternoon slot 325 central here we're going. Hey, <laughs> you're calling the AA counselor. Uh, that's funny. Um, all right, here we go. Starting out with the normal slides. Weather, we don't have a weather slide. Why? It's going to be a warm, beautiful 72 degrees inside U.S. Bank Stadium. They're not going to be opening the doors. It's going to be absolutely lovely. So we're going to start off with the Vikings offense. PFF has the Vikings offense going up. To number eight. They like the Vikings offense. Love you, PFF, for that. They have the Viking or the Giants defense at 29th. That's good. Eight against 29. I'll take that. Now, football outsiders, on the other hand, is a totally different story. Football outsiders has not liked the Vikings this year. They have the offense staying steady at 20. 15 in a run, or 15th in the past, 28th in the run. They have the Giants defense, 29th overall, 22nd in the pass, and 32nd in the run. So the Vikings are even better on their metrics. Um, Elias Sports has the Vikings going up to 7th in yards. And this, folks, you can take this as the end of the season ranks. 7th in yards. Sixth in passing, only 28th in rushing, unfortunately. Eighth in points, we've given up 46 sacks. We're 21st, giving 23 turnovers. And the line for this game is Vikings favored by three and a 48.0 over and under, which is very high scoring game, basically. Uh... Elias has the Giants' defense is ranked 25, 14th against passing, 
27th against rushing. Uh, is ranked 27th. 18th on points, 13th in sacks with 41, which is not too bad. They're 20th in differential at plus 3, and they're 25th in takeaways at 19th. So, on paper, number-wise, our offense is better than their defense. Moving on, let's flip this over. We'll go Vikings defense. PFF has them going up and ranked power ranking of 12. They have. I don't know what to say about that. Um, <laughs> they, they're liking the Vikings a lot better than DVOA, put it that way. Yes. Um, football outsiders and DVOA. They have the Giants' offense is ranked 16th. Now we get to Football Outsiders and DVOA. They have the Vikings' defense is going down to 27th, 26th against the pass overall, and 19th against the run. They have the Giants' offense 10th overall, 10th in pass, and 7th in run. There's a huge also don't know. Also don't know what to say about that one either. Like, I mean, the Giants' offensive rankings there, they're just – that is not the offense I've seen when I've watched the Giants play this year. Right. So it's it's how the algorithms work and what they value. And they are proving this year, both with the Vikings and with the Giants, that there's some tweaking that needs to be made. Yes, their algorithm works 80 or 90% of the time. But both these teams are outside that margin that what indicates this season, which makes this game all the more interesting. Elias Sports Bureau, your generic stats. Vikings defense is ranked 31st, stayed the same. Passing, 31st. If I remember correctly, that stayed the same. 20th against rushing, which stayed the same. Uh, They're 30th against points, which I think went down. They're 22nd with sacks. They have uh, 38. They're 13th in differential at plus 2, and they're 8th in takeaway with plus 25. And takeaways, as we know, have been a key so far this season to success for the Vikings. On the offensive side, Elias has the Giants' offense 18th in yards. They have them 26 in passing, meaning their quarterback isn't that good, or quarterback running back or wide receivers. They're fourth in rushing that we know. They've got an outstanding running back. They're 16th in points, middle of the pack. And uh, uh, they've taken 47 sacks. We've taken 48, if I remember correctly. 46. 46. So we're about the same. And turnovers, however, they're second. Only giving up 16. That's a it, lot because it or not, Daniel Jones is not making a chance, take many chances when he throws the ball. Correct. And believe it or not, those scores are real similar to what Chicago's were last week. We know how bad Chicago had been over the season. They're the only couple different ones are in sacks and turnovers. Special teams. Purple Haze, yes. Meet at the quarterback. That's always the way to win. Um, 
Vikings are 30th. They went up one spot. Yay. Uh, <laughs> they were a lot better than that over the season. But uh, like I said, DVOA does not like them. The Giants are 22nd. When it comes to injury reports, Vikings have three questionable players. Cameron, Mr. Glass, Dantzler is questionable. Uh, this boy gets hurt when you blow on him wrong. So <laughs> I don't expect him to play tomorrow, but I may be wrong. Don't take my word for it. He's questionable. I just doubt it because we've come across this too many times and it's been yeah. Well, the weird, weird part is that he's missed the last two practices, I think, with a personal matter, which wouldn't be injury-related, but still he had the ankle issue the first day. So I don't know. I don't know what's up with Cam. Can't seem to stay on the field. Nope. Then we got Harrison Smith, hitman. He's a questionable. I think you're going to have to physically restrain him not to play on Sunday. He will be out there. And you have AP. All-Pro team, second team, kick returner, Kene Wangwu, Wang Chung, is questionable. I suspect he will be out there as well. And for the Giants, you see, it's green. They have none. Zero people on the injury report. Everybody's either on IR or they're healthy, so they're in optimal position going into this game. There you have it, folks, all set up for you. All the offensive, defensive rankings, special team rankings, injury stuff. Dave, Dave's always got it for you every week. And then we get into a little bit more of the particulars after that, where I blab on about some stuff. <laughs> well, and you wanted to do that with the starting of the question that we named this show after. Randall to Cousins. Can Kirk yes. do what Randall did? I sure hope so. The um, this will be this will be just the fourth time that the Vikings and the Giants have played. There's some random like um, Viking Giants playoff trivia here, but this will be the the fourth time that the Vikings and the Giants have played in the playoffs. This will be the first time that the Vikings have have, have hosted the Giants in the playoffs. The other three times were at the the Meadowlands. Uh, the old metal lands anyway. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, and. Oh, no. And there goes his internet again. The other three times we're at the metal lands. Uh, where, of course, we wondered where was it? Kafka was buried. Anyways, the other three times we're at the metal lands on the green turf. Astro turf, which is Green painted concrete, basically. It's not. It's that real short, fake grass on a little bit of padding on concrete that the Vikings played back in the day. It was a fast surface, but we played in New Jersey in the Meadowlands. And right here, Randall Cunningham in the second Playoff game we had against them, I think. Yes. Second game, second playoff game. Less than Hoffman. a minute. Just over. Yes. Just over. Thank you, G-Back. Something you missed. 
Hoffa's buried in the end zone of the Meadowlands. So they we say. talked about that. So they say, theoretically. Of course, they didn't they pick them up when they built they, a new stadium. I thought they tried some ground-penetrating radar around there. They did. They didn't find, any, find anything, but uh, anyway. But, they, yeah, those Giants playoff – Vikings playoff games, two of those three have been very memorable. Uh, one was the 41 Donut game, which was not memorable for, only, <laughs> memorable for only one reason. And the other was they that cheated. game where – Really weird, uh, where Randall Cunningham hit – Jake Reed with all, just over a minute left in the game, like 20-some-plus yards to get the Vikings. Uh, within. It was 22-20 for the Giants at that point. Then they kick an onside kick, recover it, march it down the field, and, and uh, Eddie Murray uh, kicks the game, pretty much the game-winning field goal with 10 seconds left. And so it was kind of a dramatic win. Uh, that was in 97. Uh, Randall Cunningham had come in for the injured Brad Johnson. And, of course, we know what happened in 98 when – Cunningham came in for the injured Brad Johnson. So uh, some memorable playoff games for the Vikings and the Giants in the past. Uh, and uh, we're are we going to get another one uh, tomorrow? Uh, w- one thing that's kind of like um, a, a bit of in- interesting about this game is that uh, you would think that um, the Giants – nine nine seven and one team going up against a thirteen and four team that won the division. Uh, that uh, and it at a home against a, a like a, a playing at the other teams, the, that division leading's home, home field, that that's going to be a bit of a disadvantage. The crowd's going to be rah, rah. Mm-hmm. But of course we know that the giants just played the Vikings at us bank stadium three weeks ago. Uh, so I don't know if this is, this is such a, I think that such a big advantage for the Vikings home field advantage because the giants, They've already played the Vikings, so they've played the Kevin O'Connell offense. They've played the the Ed Donichel three four defense. They've uh, they're used to playing in the US Bank Stadium. They got used to playing against the turf. They're used to the sight lines. They're used to the lighting. They're used to how the crowd is and the yeah. The but Giants the crowd barracks. before when they yeah. when they whine about Nick Gates whines about it wasn't loud. That was Christmas Eve. Oh yeah, right. Oh, that's right. I don't think he's. I think he's going to be surprised tomorrow when he gets in the stadium. I think they're going to be a lot more fired up and loud tomorrow than they were back on Christmas Eve. I agree, uh, but uh, but I think that it would it would be I th- they're still used to the environment. They played there once, so uh, it, if this was the the Giants, uh, a team with, that we know does not have very much playoff experience, if they're coming up against. Uh, going into a home stadium, a uh, stadium that they haven't played in before, uh, and uh, that uh, that would be a little bit more of an edge for the Vikings in this case. They don't have that because they just played the Vikings at the U.S. Bank Stadium, uh, you know, less than a month ago. So that, that you know, that's just one thing to keep in mind. I don't think it's a huge factor, but the Giants aren't going to be in awe of the situation. I think because they've they've been there and done that in a way. Uh, so th- there there is that. But I think, uh, you know, the, the, in that Giants-Vikings game, the, the Giants, when we talked, did the game preview a few weeks ago, I talked about how Saquon Barkley is, how they, they build their offense around him. Daniel Jones, they don't ask him to do very much. But the, Viking, uh, the Giants kind of flipped the script in that game because Barkley only had 16 carries, I think. And Daniel Jones threw 42 passes. He threw for over 300 yards in that game. Uh, I don't know, like, uh, so I, I – and we saw that the Vikings in all the rankings 
uh, are actually worse defending the pass than they are defending the run, even though they don't defend the run all that well either. So, uh, and and the thing about Daniel Jones is that That's he's where actually been, comes in. Yeah, true. Uh, <clears throat> the, the thing about Daniel Jones is that he's actually the past five, th- four or five games he's played you know, pretty well for Daniel Jones. He's completing over 70% of his passes. He's had six touchdowns, only one interception. That one interception was in the Vikings game. Patrick Peterson picked him off. So uh, he's been playing, you know, mistake-free football. Uh, He's pretty good at throwing, and he's very effective throwing between the hash marks. And and that's a case where... uh, (laughs) You know, he, I think he's going to be targeting wherever Shannon Sullivan is. That's who Daniel uh, Jones is going to be targeting, right? Uh, I, I think to see if they can get a lot of make a have a make a lot of hay and keep the chains going by targeting the Vikings' real weak link in amongst the three main cornerbacks that they play. I was about to say, if you're going to target anybody, the worst grading individual out of the backfield is this guy, Shannon Sullivan. So, without a doubt, and so you know, you might you could see a lot of the guy that we didn't know a whole lot about, but he had a pretty good game last time. Was Isaiah Hodgins? He had about I think eight or nine catches in that game for eighty some yards, and he does a lot of his work. He's not a fast guy, but he does a lot of his work in that kind of between in the middle hash match thing. I think that they'll the Vikings or the Giants will Dayball will have Hodgins and Richie James on Shannon Sullivan a lot and hope that they do well. Um, for, for Jones, we know he's mobile, but he's also, he can be inaccurate at times. He'll miss on some, some, um, <laughs> he'll, he'll miss on some throws that you don't think that he should miss on. And when he's pressured, that's when he really breaks down, I feel. So getting a lot of pressure on him, it's been mentioned earlier is, is a key. And that's where we got some potentially good news this week, Dave, when Zadarius Smith talked about, uh, he's been pretty quiet the past seven, eight games. Only a half a sack, I think, in his last seven games. He's gone from a guy who was averaging over six pressures per game to uh, just about just over three pressures in the last seven, eight games. And he's been dealing with. I th- I thought after the season was over, Dave, I was going to mention that. I bet you we're going to learn that Zadarius Smith has been dealing with multiple injuries. Mm-hmm. Well. Uh, because he just didn't look like the same guys in the early year. Well, the, the knee injury was the big issue injury for him, but he says he's feeling as good as he has in a while, and that could be big for the Vikings because Daniil Hunter has picked things up in the second half of the season. If Zadarius Smith is first-half Zadarius Smith and we've got second-half Daniil Hunter, uh, we could create a lot of havoc with the pass rush tomorrow and put – Daniel Jones under a lot of duress, which is big. And I think that the Vikings are going to want to, you know, they move Zadarius Smith around inside, outside all the time, but I think they're going to want to isolate uh, Hunter and Smith on the, the Giants right tackle, Evan Neal. Uh, he, Hunter had his lunch in that game against the Giants uh, he had two sacks and multiple pressures, and I think they're going to isolate Evan Neal because on the other side, Andrew Thomas, the left tackle, is a stud. You're not going to get a lot on him probably, but Evan Neal is a guy that the Vikings, I think, are going to want to isolate Zadarius Smith and Neal Hunter on him and see if they can uh, create a lot of problems for the Giants offense doing that sort of thing. So I think that's a kind of a key key matchup there for sure. Well, I agree. If if those guys can get pressure this tomorrow – I think this can blow up the whole New York Giants plan. 
if those guys are wreaking havoc, I think it's going to be a wonderful thing. I hope they do. On, on the other side of things, Dave, that offensively for the Vikings, uh, we talked about Ali Udo at right tackle. Uh, whether it's Ali Udo or Blake Brandle at right tackle, uh, the Blake Brandle or the Ali Udo slash Blake, Blake Brandle matchup against potentially Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau was was pretty quiet in that other in the, the first game. I felt, but he was uh, but going had, against O'Neal. That's right. He's not going to have to – he or whoever's on the right side are not going to be going up against Brian O'Neill this time. They're going to be going up against Ali Udo or Blake Brandle. And if Kevin Thibodeau in particular can win that battle, uh, that's going to be a problem for the, for the Vikings offense. Uh, the Vikings offense and offensive line in general, they're going to have to have great communication, I think, uh, picking up stunts, picking up Wink Martindale's blitzing because Martindale is going to send the house at times. He's going to try to send more than, than you got that can block. We know that. They, they blitz, I think, uh, the most percentage of anybody in the NFL. So uh, that was an issue last time. It's going to be an issue this time. But if Kevin Thibodeau just single-handedly himself can – really dominate against whatever right tackle he's going up against in the Vikings. That's going to make it uh, problems for, for the Vikings offense, for Kirk Cousins. Uh, Ashe, who's no longer on the uh, the Giants fan, who's no longer on the chat here, uh, he was kind of crowing about how Cousins crumbles under pressure. Viking fans has been wa- who've been watching the offense this year know that that's actually bogus. <laughs> that this year. He is actually, yes. that this year. He's, he's gotten actually, better. Even the last yeah. year, he got better under pressure. Yeah, that he is that he has actually performed better under pressure in a lot of cases than when he isn't pressured. And if you saw him stand in on that third down play in the Giants Vikings game and it was third and long, and Martindale like sent the house and blitzed, he just had enough time to hit Justin Jefferson on that third long on that third and long play. You know that Cousins can perform under pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, be, I'll be interested to see how the Giants play. Justin Jefferson in this one. Last time they didn't have their top corner, Dory Jackson, and they didn't have safety, Xavier McKinney. They're going to have both in this game. We know that Justin Jefferson, the the really the, his poorer games, when you look, think of the Philly game, you think of the Detroit game in Minnesota, you think of the, the, the game against that team from Wisconsin in Green Bay. Right. They did a lot of press, or they, they, they were physical with him. They did right. a lot of press coverage with him. Hit him at the line of scrimmage. Yeah. They didn't let him. They didn't let him have a free release. Will the Giants try to do that? Because Jefferson got frustrated when he got when corners were physical against him, and uh, he didn't react to it as well as I would like. He's got to keep his cool, stay in the game, stay in the moment. If the Giants try to do the same thing with him, um, and beyond that, uh, you know, Justin Jefferson is going to be a factor. You know, T.J. Hawkinson is going to be a factor. I'm looking for who's going to be the third. Viking offensive player who is a factor and makes us tough to defend. Is it going to be KJ Osborne? He's had 200 yard plus games in the past three games. He, so he's been strong at the end of the year. Uh, is it going to be, uh, <laughs> if it's not him, is it going to be perhaps, uh, again, Adam Phelan? Uh, he's only had three catches for, I think, 18 yards in the past two or three games. So, uh, I have my doubts about that. Or could it be Dalvin Cook? The Giants are not very good defending the run. Uh, they haven't been all year. But Cook didn't really get much running room in that first game. 
Uh, he's had a, even though his stats look good this year, if you look at him at a glance, there have been some concerning Over trends. Over yards, yeah. yeah. There, there have been some concerning thread uh, trends with him, like how many times he's been stuffed and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but if he has a big game against the Giants tomorrow, that, that's going to help the Vikings offense you know, immensely. We know that. Hey, and like last week, it could be Maddie coming in, Alexander mm-hmm. Madison coming in and getting those hard yards, especially in the red zone, banging it up if Cooker isn't getting that, you know, if he's only doing the twosy, twosy, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here, and not breaking that long run, they may bring in Madison in relief to bang six, to bring eight, to bring four, to bring to bang in from, you know, short distance. And I do believe the rushing could be the key to success. But how do we better rush the ball? What are the keys to rushing? Well, you need you need good blocking, and I don't think the Vikings have really had good blocking this year. Uh, that kind of leads into maybe like how you use your, utilize your tight ends in this game now that you've got Irv Smith or Johnny Munt or TJ Hawkinson in, in there. Um, and whether the Vikings try to, they don't run it a lot. Do they, as it's been mentioned earlier, do they try to use more two tight end sets, try to get a bit more of a push on the running game, better blocking on the running game? They, they might try that. Maybe that's one of those little wrinkles they use in this game that they didn't show in the last game and they had to throw the ball a whole bunch because the running game wasn't very effective outside of a run here and there by Cook. Uh, but the running game hasn't been effective at all, and you just dropped off again. Damn it, and I have a question for you. Did KOC save something for this game? Is there stuff in his playbook? Now, we talked about him earlier in the season getting a little too cute, but in the playoffs, has he saved stuff specifically for the playoffs? Uh, Rhino talks about don't run it up the gap every first down. I agree with you 100% because that's predictable and it's easy to defend. Um, Chuck, I'm expecting... Three, five, three tight end sets with Irv in the backfield. Possibly, I don't expect him in the backfield. I expect that 12 lineup, and that may help the running game, especially when running outside. Question I asked when you popped off, has KOC saved stuff for the playoffs, specifically when it comes to the run game, that we're going to see whether it be a 12 formation with both tight ends right to get more cj ham a lot of people have been calling for that get him in there um michael talks about using chandler on the outside you know i just talked about in the red zone using more madison chandler might be a good one do you see that I would hope that they would try, uh, I believe it's Ryan quoting as Viking Uncensored. He said it a few times, and we've watched the Vikings all year where, yeah, when they try to run in between the guards, like the middle, uh, not very successful. But that's where it seems like the vast majority of their run plays go. You watch other teams against us, 
they test the edges and they're very successful. And I would like to see, as Ryan would, I would like to see that we test the edges of the Giants defense and see if that bears a bit more fruit than this, than the more the inside running game, which has been a struggle for the Vikings mm-hmm. all year. Uh, maybe we don't have like one thing that's a problem with that. I think is that, uh, at least in my opinion, is I don't think our wide receivers block all that well. Uh, <laughs> and I, so yeah, I, but I um, when he, when you're coming up to running up the middle, that's more of a power game. No, well, that's why I'm talking about that. When you you do the outside runs, I think that's important to have your wide receivers right. blocking well there. And I don't think we, I don't think Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson are very strong run blockers. Uh, they're certainly not Alan Lazard in that. And I think that that might be part of the problem. Um, but and I also see a lot of times when we try to go out on the edges, it seems like our offensive linemen are a little late getting there. Um, maybe having Bradbury back will help because one thing we do know is he is good getting up, up to the second level. He is, and he's good at calling the defense. Yes. You got to remember that over everything we've seen so far, Bradbury is good at identifying the defense and calling blocking schemes. So I do like that. that. We have gone now. Over an well over an hour. We wanted to get to the end of this, and we're talking about guys that have been empowered on the defense. I almost forgot about this, Dave. I'm glad you brought it up. But yeah, Ed Donatel was Ed Donatel. Everybody's been you know complaining about him all year, but he he did have an interesting presser this week where he talked about how this week that the the Vikings that veterans guys like Harrison Smith, guys like Patrick Peterson, guys like Dalvin Tomlinson that they have basically kind of taken over the defense this week. Cedric uh, Smith is yeah. one of them. Mm-hmm. And that's been, and I thought that was a very interesting comment by him. Uh, it intrigued me because we know that uh, what Donatel's been doing, apparently on his own calling plays, hasn't worked uh, <laughs> um, th- this year. But so, uh, but you've got a lot of vets on your defense: Kendricks, Smith, Zadarius Smith, Patrick Peterson, Daniel Hunter, uh, empowering them, asking them, "Hey, what do you think would work against the Giants? What do you do best?" What uh, what should we be running in certain situations here? What kind of defenses? What kind of coverages? Uh, I think that, that you know uh, that is trying something different. Uh, that could be part of the new wrinkles that Kevin O'Connell is talking about. That some things that the Giants won't be expecting uh, or prepared for. Uh, and these are smart football players. They know how offenses will attack them. They know how to attack offenses. Uh, and I think that uh, this could be something I'm very interested to see how much their empowerment, how much them taking over the, the Vikings defense this week uh, results in a different Vikings defense tomorrow against the Giants and, and a more effective Vikings mm-hmm. defense against the Giants as well. Uh, really excited to see what, you know, that might, what that might result, what kind of Vikings defense we're going to see and what the results will be from that Vikings defense with the vets with uh, taking you know uh, taking control of the steering wheel a bit, right? And this is, I think, this is going to be the biggest story of the game outside of the offense. I do think that empowering these vets may be the excuse of Ed saying, "Say I gave you the power, 
It's not my fault, right? Mm -hmm. He's already shifting the blame, which seems like a very Ed Donatel way to me. But I do hope these vets, and I believe in them, know what the hell they're doing, and they go out there and kick ass. And I think that's what will – I think the Vikings offense will score points. I don't have worries in that. I think they're going to score points against that Giants defense. I have faith in them. And we know that they can score points against anybody, especially if they play all four quarters. Mary, I hear you out there. Play all four quarters. They play all four quarters. They can rack up points. They can score over 30 points a game. That should be enough to win. Now, on the defensive side, if that defense can keep the opposing team under preferably 20, what was our Mendoza line, 17. Once upon a time, yeah. Yeah, that would be great. But if they keep them under 20 and the offense scores over 30, we win, right? We march our way into February, which we want. I think that can happen. I think these guys, be it Pat P, be it Zadarius, be it Hitman, be it Kendricks, be it Hunter, can call, go all in there and go, we know how to play football. We've been around long enough. This is how we attack this team. Yes, Ed Donatel, you call the plays, we'll modify them from there. And we'll beat their ass. And I think that's what's going to happen tomorrow. At least that's what I want to happen. What's your prediction? Purple Ace is 24-16 Vikings. Yeah, well, Dave, people on here are going to probably complain about me. But uh, I am uh, I feel not all that confident about this game, actually. Uh, you know, playing the Giants the second time, two evenly matched teams, I think. Uh, they, uh, the the I'm... Um, and a lot of people are picking the, against the Vikings. I just don't have a good feeling here. I kind of feel like the Giants might take this one, uh, like 24-21, something along those lines. Uh, last game uh, in, the, in the Vikings-Giants game, the, the, the Giants were the ones that they had the two, two turnovers. They had the block punt. Uh, the Vikings played a clean game, no turnovers, no special team screw-ups. Uh, you flip that a little bit. And um, it, I think it's, you know, it, it, if it goes the other way, it's going to be a different result completely. Uh, I'd love to see the Vikings dominate, uh, again, play the Mary Fisk four full quarters. Uh, we've seen that rarely this season from the Vikings. Uh, we last week was all. Well, well, I thought last week we did, but you had to take that game with a grain of salt, too. <laughs> we were playing the Bears. But, you know, again, but uh, the, the Donatello empowering the Vets. Uh, the, the Vikings playing with the home crowd, that'll be a little extra juiced, especially because Nick Gates has egged them on a little bit by saying that they weren't <laughs> very loud. And, right. and the Vikings offensively just doing what they do, which is crank out 27, 28 points every game, uh, regardless of what goes on. Um, you know, may, maybe we're going to have that complete game tomorrow. Um, I will feel good if we get into the fourth quarter and once again it's close because the Vikings, maybe this is the time the Vikings lose that one score game in the fourth, but they perform so consistently so well in those, in those. G-Mac talks about being worried about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But they, the Vikings have, have played so well in that 
in that situation. They know who they are in that situation. They're confident in who they are in that situation. I wouldn't worry about that too much. Uh, but uh, but you got to get there. You got to make sure that you're you're in the game at that point in time. The Giants have very explosive offensively, but yeah, I, I just don't feel good about about this game, uh, Dave. Whereas I differ with you, I think the Vikings are going to make a statement. There's been too much this week about how the Vikings don't deserve to be here. The Giants are better. The Vikings suck. Yada, yada. Kirk Cousins isn't it. I hope all that goes up on the bulletin board. And the Vikings go out there and absolutely dominate tomorrow. And I think they can do that. And by dominate, I mean two touchdowns or more victory. I'm calling for a 34-20 victory by your Minnesota Vikings. What are you calling? I was saying, well, yeah, I said it earlier. I was going uh, 24-21 Giants, actually. Hate to do it, but that's how I'm feeling. I hate feeling is feeling. With that, we're going to wrap this show up. It is time for the Super Duper Wild Card Weekend. Getting ready to start on TV right now. Thank you for watching. Thank you for loving your Minnesota Vikings as we do. And what do we say, brother? We say, despite my prediction, Skull Vikings! Skull Vikings! Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell, and rate us on your favorite aggregator. And a special shout-out goes to our partners, The Daily Norseman, where the best Vikings content can be found. And to Lake Monster Brewing, home of the best beer in Minnesota. Skull, everybody. Skull, everybody.